Thank you, JT, musicians, beautiful singing this morning. It's good to see everyone, good to see everyone online. And uh, you probably know, of course, that Barbara Miller went to be with the Lord this past Monday. And she was a part of our church family for over 60 years. And we're going to miss her. The service was Thursday. And there's some flowers that just came in. There's some flowers in memory of her that are out in the lobby. So be sure you you uh, take a look at those and it'll remind you of what a sweet, beautiful woman she was. Well, once a year we have a service that we call Back to School Sunday. And uh, we've been doing that for a long time now. Dr. Miller always speaks because he's the expert on education. And uh, he's gonna come in just a moment. And I know that you know Dr. Miller, but here's some things you may not know. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he began teaching in the mid-80s, and uh, for 18 years, he was a high school teacher and a high school principal. Um, not at the same time, but uh, during that eight, first 18 years of his teaching. During that time, he also coached baseball, volleyball, and was an athletic director as well. He got his master's degree and his doctorate degree in education from Liberty University. Then he served 16 years as a professor in a university. And the last 10 years of that 16 years, he was the dean of the School of Education. Uh, he is a speaker at state and regional education conferences throughout the Southeast and has done, done so for 20 years. Three times since, not, since 2008, He's been a guest professor at the Theological Seminary in Bangladesh, and he's conducted professional developments for educators in China, Papua New Guinea, and a variety of schools in North Carolina. He's been teaching the adult class, adults, here at Gospel since the uh, late 1980s, and uh, now teaching, of course, the auditorium class in uh, on Sunday evenings. And along with all of that, he became the assistant pastor here at Gospel in 1994. And beginning in the early 1990s, he began teaching at the Greensboro Bible Institute, which he is still doing now. So that's a lot of teaching and a lot of years, and we're sure blessed to have Dr. Miller as part of our staff here at the church and and as part of our church family so though he's come to this pulpit many many times let's welcome him again as he comes to share this morning god bless you thank you pastor thank you it's always a privilege to be here and have this opportunity if you do have the math to all that you'll know that i'm 116 years old and um feels like it some days for sure another school year wow who would have thought that we'd be this far into uh, whatever you want to make of the pandemic and still having to deal with a lot of things related to, to uh, school changes? And boy, it's been an interesting bunch of months for sure. We'll all have something to tell for a while to come. Let me get all my technology working here. Uh, well, indeed, back to school another year. This is something we started uh, about 20 or so years ago. And uh, it's taken different forms and shapes over the years. It's kind of settled into being a back to school Sunday now as much as anything. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to kind of kick off the year with our students and pray for them as we close. 
and uh, to recognize some folks in education. I'm very thankful uh, what the Lord's allowed me to do in the field of education. It really is a, a part of my heart and has been, obviously, for many years. And uh, many of you here share that same heart. You're in education, and you have a, a, a drive to go and help other young people. It's a wonderful ministry because it impacts children, but it also impacts their families. And uh, it's a great way to see um, the Lord work. For me, it all began, though, here at Gospel Baptist Church at the old location when as a teenager, uh, then Pastor Ross asked me if I would help teach the junior boys class, all four of them. And um, uh, what great memories that was. But that was a start and did that until I left for college. And uh, then Pastor King, when he was uh, at the, pastoring the church, had me uh, speak and teach some there, too. And so found something just this past week related to that. It was very interesting just to remember all those past. And Pastor Paul has an important role in my work of education. I'll save that story for a later time when I've got more time to do it. Um, or you could wait and see the movie, either way. But um, uh, he certainly had an important role in doing so. that. We want to recognize some folks uh, this, this, this morning. And I want to have you stand, if you will. That won't be too embarrassing, I trust. Or maybe I hope it will be embarrassing. I don't know. Uh, we want to recognize our educators and staff of schools and school systems. So let's start with the teachers. If you're a classroom teacher, already started, getting ready to start, would you stand? I know we have a, more than one or two here, I think. We had several, yeah. I recognize, okay, good deal. Well, this group demands an applause for sure, for of gratitude for the work that you do. And thank you. You may be seated. I will point out that in many years past, we, we recognized Kaylee as part of this as we prayed for her as a student. And this year, we're praying for her as a teacher. She starts her teaching career this year. So uh, very exciting for her and for her family getting started with that. What about others who work in school? You know, school is a, a multifaceted, multi-layered event, and uh, it's not just about the classroom teachers, uh, lots of support folks. Do we have anybody here today that's on school staff or works for a school system in another capacity? I was thinking we had one or two, okay. Good, we have two. Thank you, ladies, for your work. We appreciate that very much. All those behind the scenes, all those behind the scenes people are very important. And then, of course, uh, it's kind of hard to have a school without students. I'm not sure those look like many of our students, but I thought it was an interesting picture anyway. Um, so students from pre-K all the way up through college, parents, help them stand, would you? We want to at least see who they are. We'll, we'll have them another time stand. Wow, what a great group. Amen. And one of the things we miss most about this this year, as it was last year, is we will not get them to the front. You know, in years past, if you've seen us do this, we always get our young people down front, and wow, that's just a, um, a real wonderful picture and a real reminder of what a treat it is to see our young people. And of course, they're here today because we swiped them out of junior church and uh, told them they would come down and be a part of this, so we're very excited to have them here with us. You know, school brings lots of emotions, doesn't it? Some people look at the school year like this. Right? Other people think it looks more like this. <laughs> and I'll give you a little inside story. Teachers have those days, too. And I can tell you two principals do. So uh, we'll see what tomorrow holds. Some of you are getting started tomorrow, and others have already started. And uh, so every day is an adventure at school, for sure. And all the things are there. Now, whether you went to school in the 1940s, I'll not ask you to raise your hand, or the 1950s, I'll give you a second just to absorb some of that without taking too long. The 1960s. Now we get a little closer home, aren't we? The 1970s. 
All right, bell bottoms and plaid. All right, let's hear it. In the 1980s, those things are computer monitors on those desks, young people. The 1990s, oh, that changed a lot, didn't it? The 1990s, when the big technology was a whiteboard instead of chalkboard. 2000s, the whiteboard became a smart board. And teachers and students enjoyed those, and they're still in use a lot today in different ways. The 19-teens, we started seeing more technology in the hands of students. And there was this big drive called BYOD, bring your own device to school. Uh, phones, tablets, laptops, all sorts of things uh, were a part of education in the mix. And it really was an interesting and challenging time for educators to try to figure out how to use all this new stuff. It was changing so fast, it still is in many ways, changing so fast. And, and made the classroom experience so different. Last year, education looked a lot like this, sometime during the year, and kind of the for better or for worse. And it was a challenging time, and I applaud the teachers and parents who both had to be flexible, and students, of course, who were put in a new environment of trying to accomplish all this. And uh, it was interesting to see for sure, and most everyone's glad, and hopefully that uh, is over for now. And this year, we'll anticipate starting school in many cases, it looks like this, a little combination of what the last two years have been, I suppose. But regardless of how education is formatted or structured or engaged in, individually, large group, small group, rural school, urban school, uh, education is still a valuable commodity. And we in America have the best educational system in the country, potentially. It sort of depends on where you go and what you look at, what you're measuring. You hear lots of statistics in education about um, the good and the bad and the ugly of education, and that's true. It's, it's such a huge system at all levels. And of course, there's lots of different ways in which education can be engaged in. My purpose here for a few moments this morning is to remind us what the Bible says about education. And some people have yet to make that connection. And they think the Bible, well, that's church stuff. And education is over here. That's the Monday through Friday stuff. Well, let me put that rumor to bed real quick because the reality is the Bible does have some important things, important concepts to say about education. So let's look at some verses from both, or some passages from some both uh, of the Old and New Testaments. Uh, this is from uh, Deuteronomy. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. We've heard that. And these words which I, this is Moses speaking at the Lord's command, which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. They shall be in your heart, the meaning they shall be the innermost part of you. And you go through each day living them out. What do you do with that truth? The next verse goes on to say, you shall teach them diligently unto your children. Think of diligently there meaning purposefully, by plan, by design, almost by second nature. So the verse goes on to say, and you shall talk of them, these commands and statutes and God's principles, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you're just walking through the day, daily events of life, when you lie down in the evening, when you rise up in the morning. All throughout the day, there should be a permeation of God's principles outflowing into your day-to-day -day events and activities. That was the plan that was given to the nation of Israel for their homes for their children that generation to generation would teach and train up under these principles and concepts of God's law. Here from Proverbs chapter 1, to know wisdom and instruction. What's education about? In biblical perspectives, it's always about wisdom. 
It's about not being the fool that Proverbs talks about, but being the wise person. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, four essential principles. We could chase a lot of rabbit trails, but we'll avoid that for now. To give subtlety to the simple, it means understanding, comprehension. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young, to the young um, mind that's growing and maturing. To the young, knowledge and discretion, to be able to make good choices and good decisions. To be able to make right selections about life. This passage goes on to say, a wise man will hear, a wise person will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. There is wisdom in listening. There's a wisdom that is gained through that simple process, particularly when it applies to listening to God's word. And then verse 7 concludes this passage, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but it's the fool who despises wisdom and instruction. The contrast could not be sharp, more sharply painted for us in the book of Proverbs between the wise and the fool. The wise seeks the ways of God and his principles and his concepts and his truths and his values. We all know what the fool says, because at one time or another, we've all said it. And didn't we sound foolish when we said it? I'll do it my way. I've got a better idea. Mom and Dad don't know what they're talking about. The teacher, I'll forget that. Those are the attitudes of the fool. The important principles of learning God's truth. You see, the Bible reminds us, too, in a couple of places I've marked off here, from longer passages, that God says, there's going to come a time when your son and when your children will ask. They will ask, well, why do we go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we say you can't do that? There will come a time when they will ask. And we need to have biblically-based answers principles to instill in their life and in their thinking that will impact them not only now as a young person, but also as they age and mature into young adulthood and even to adulthood. Proverbs, of course, reminds us, train up a child in the way he should go, the pattern that is built into him or her, the unique and distinct way in which God has made each one of us. Build upon that, strengthen it, train them up in God's ways. And when they're old, you shall not depart from it. A principle of investment. Invested in the child now that you may reap the interest and the benefit later. Those are realities of what the Bible teaches us. And it puts that burden upon the home. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's the role that the parents take upon themselves when they start that family. Bring them up in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. The other things will take care of themselves. Will they pursue this career or this job or this avenue or this level of education? But the foundation is laid upon God's word and the responsibility is placed upon the home. So that's on a look at a passage in Luke chapter 2, two, two verses. Now we know Luke chapter 2, it's the account of the birth story given to us. We read it quite frequently in December usually. 
And those are familiar words. So do you realize by the time you finish Luke chapter 2, Jesus is a preteen. We're not told much about those years, but there are two places in that chapter where there's a reference point to Jesus growing up. The child grew. Here it means a young toddler. From an infant to a toddler, kind of in that age group. And the child grew, Jesus speaking of, of course, and waxed strong in spirit. He was a spirited child. Filled with wisdom. Even as a young child, it was noticeable that Jesus had an insight and a perspective. And the grace of God was upon him. He even demonstrated God's hand upon him. You say, yeah, but that's Jesus. Well, I, I, I want to say it's a pattern. The perfection is only upon Christ, not upon us. But it's a pattern in which we can understand growth and development. This verse 40. You go to the very last verse of chapter 2. It's verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There are four things wrapped within that simple verse that tell us about the important role of what it is to grow up and mature. Here it doesn't say the child, it says Jesus. Because this is the commentary of the scripture upon Christ as a 12-year-old. That he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Again, it's a pattern, a testimony. It's a goal that we should try to see achieved in our children and grandchildren. We see in these four areas of this verse, wisdom. Jesus increased in wisdom. That's his thinking and understanding capacity. Jesus was fully man. Even as a child, he was growing and maturing. Think for a moment about a Jesus we don't often encounter in our thoughts. And that is a Jesus who was 8 years old or 10 years old or 12 years old. What do, you, what do you think of the young man Jesus? If we were to ask his neighbors, his family members, those in his community who knew him best. I think we would hear comments like he's such a respectful young man. He really shows a lot of wisdom for his age. He's always so helpful. I'm glad he's a role model for my five-year-old. I mean, we can imagine those things. They're not told to us directly in Scripture, but I don't think it's hard to, hard to miss it. His physical development. Jesus was growing physically. Sure, he's getting taller, he's getting stronger, he's taking on the physique of a young man. That's part of our children's growing up also. Not only are they thinking better and learning and understanding and comprehending and all those wonderful things we talk about with educating a child, but Jesus is also growing. His physical development was also the reality that an expression of his physical skills. I think Jesus was a good athlete. Whatever games the children were playing back then, I think he was probably good at it. As our children are growing, we watch their physical development. Not just getting taller and getting bigger and getting a male or a female physique, but the idea that they're learning to develop their physical skills. Maybe it's in sports, the pursuit a lot of young people get into. But there's many other things, too. Maybe it's their physical skills in art, sculpting or painting, somehow using their hands. Maybe it's in music. Certainly it takes a physical skill to do that. They're physically developing those skills. You know, most of us here grew up in a time when we knew what it was like to go out and play outside all day. Right? A, lot of, a lot of us can tell that story. And we go out and ride the bike for hours at a time. 
Today, a parent might get arrested if they said, go ride the bike for three or four hours, come back before dark. Because you just, you just don't do that in today's world. But for many of us, we grew up in that environment, as I did. And today, we're raising a generation that's having to work extra hard at just finding physical things to do. So I always say, find a way to get them involved. There are some good programs. There are some good activities. There are some good learning experiences they can encounter. But you'll have to sort of take the advantage of using your adult skills to find those opportunities for them. Physical development. Those, uh, the, the list continues with fear, with our favor rather with God, the spiritual development. I can't put all the pieces of that together here, but I think it implies the idea of Jesus being someone who was going through the spiritual training as any young boy would in the Jewish community. He may have attended Torah classes at the synagogue. He no doubt heard uh, the priest when they speak. He watched them when he went to Jerusalem in the temple. He was beginning to relay that concept of understanding a sensitivity to God. And as he would grow and mature as the very son of God himself, that's a very unique setting. But never let it detour us from the thought process that we need to train spiritually our children. We need to instill the truths of the scriptures into their hearts. We need to have a concept of what it is for a child to grow godly. It's certainly not something the culture is going to address. We have to take the initiative for that. And then favor with man, the social aspect. I don't have to convince this crowd, right, the importance of manners, the importance of doing what's right, doing what's gentlemanly, doing what's ladylike. Those are terms that are washed away by our culture. It's important that we teach them in what they say and in what they do to express uh, a reverence and a respect, to respect their parents, to respect teachers, to respect authority. It is something a generation today is wrestling with and has lost grip of, and I think it's because many in the Christian community have not emphasized the priority of it. To do simple things. It was a great compliment to me when we were in Charlotte, and I took Kelly and I took Houston down to, to do his final MEPS assessment before he was uh, initiated into the Army. He had the opportunity there to meet his recruiting sergeant. Had never seen him. Houston, of course, had had a lot of contact and, and, uh, and communication with him. And we met him, and one, and one of the first things he said to us was, I knew Houston was going to be a success at this because he walked in the door saying, yes, sir, and no, sir. Such a simple thing. But he even said himself, it's something that I don't see very often among this generation. What a compliment it was to me, reminding me of all those times when Houston was four and six and eight and sometimes 14 and 15 years old, to remind him to say things properly, to say things respectfully. And it all came full circle in that one brief conversation in my thinking. So we have a way to think of education. Often say a well-rounded education has four corners. And when you put your thoughts together around that, it's your responsibility as parents and even grandparents, we get to be in this equation too, right? As parents and grandparents to say, let's watch out to make sure our child, our children, are getting the mental development, the academic development, the concepts of wisdom, the concept of understanding and applying God's truth in their heart and in their life, where they're at. And then the physical development. 
How are we allowing them to use their body to exercise, to develop and grow in strength and in stamina? The social development. Church is a social event. School is a social event, even with masks. And how to conduct ourselves in a social environment. But never let us think that education is just those three things. For if we ignore the spiritual part of the equation, we're ignoring the foundation of what life and eternity is about. And so we need to keep that perspective as we're training our children and raising them up to make sure the spiritual. Let me tell you the wrong answer to the question, how are you meeting your child's spiritual needs? The wrong answer is we take them to church on Sundays. They even go to Pastor Jason's youth events and junior church programs and King's Kids or whatever. They even go to that. You know what you're doing? You're giving them minutes a week of spiritual training. That's not the call of God's Word. The call of God's Word is to do it when you rise up and when you lay down and when you walk by the way every day. The responsibility, therefore, upon your child's spiritual development is upon you as parents and grandparents. Use those day-to-day -day opportunities. Encourage them. Remind them of those truths while they're willing to hear and willing to apply them to their hearts. Before too long, that young one, that toddler, will indeed be at a graduation point. Then you'll find out the rule of investment. The investment in their lives as young ones will reap a reward, will reap an interest as they begin to show their maturity in life getting to those stages. I took a picture, this is an old picture of Kelly and I and our kids. Aren't they cute? Um, I want to speak for a few moments on the fact that education is really a family affair. Parents have roles and responsibilities and so do the children. It's a reminder that education is not something that is passed off to the schools, nor to the church for that matter. I think reminded of a parent who sat in my office when I was a principal one day at school. And her explanation was, her understanding of this whole process was, well, my daughter is your problem when she's at school and my problem when she's at home. Well, I had a little lesson for her. So that's not the way this works. And that's a perspective, I'm afraid, that is dominant more than we'd like to think. The school and the family and the church should partner together as much as possible. And in the middle of that is the parent, the family. If we get what's core right about how the family functions, then I think the other things will find a natural place of, of uh, possession. The biblical authority about education is always wisdom. If you haven't had a chance to do so, I hope you'll read the front article of this month's GBC Connect here at the church. We published and sent out through email. It's about education. And yes, I'm willing to give extra credit if you read it. But take a moment to read that. We'll certainly compliment some of the things that we're talking about today. Education is a priority and a high priority for families, and it should be. Sad to say some families have not realized the importance of that priority. We as parents were often good about talking a good game, but not sometimes living it out. And I'm not here to cast stones at anybody because I've done it too. It's a reality that education has to stay in its proper perspective, and the priorities that build it have to be uh, put in their proper place. 
I think that begins with making an informed choice about how you pursue the avenue of education for your child or children. There's multitudes of opportunities out there now. The landscape of education is more speckled now with opportunities than it ever was. And whether it's through the public system, homeschool, or Christian school, or one of the charter schools, or year-round schools, I mean, the list goes on and on, seemingly. There are, there are lots of ways now that we can think about for the education program of a child. But the responsibility ultimately falls upon the parents to make that decision. Using the best available information, for sure, but also seeking wise counsel. Go talk to another family who is doing what you're thinking about doing. Get their perspective on it. I've had conversations over the years with young couples and young families here at our church, and glad to do it, about educational questions they may have or avenues and opportunities. When Kelly and I first met, we were both teachers. We don't have the high school sweetheart love story. We'd both gone through high school, gone through college. We were both teaching. And one night, Kelly came to visit at Gospel Baptist Church. Conversation was struck up, and guess what? She's a teacher. Well, I'm a teacher, too. And that became, for us, the beginning of not only a relationship that led to our marriage, but it became a foundation for our family of building upon so much educational background. She taught here in the Guilford County system for nearly a decade. When we started having children, had our two, we decided to homeschool. So I hired her away from the Guilford County system to be the classroom teacher of our homeschool. And we homeschooled our children up from, not the day they came home from the hospital, maybe the day after, uh, all the way up until eighth grade. And then they finished in Christian school. My experience as an educator has primarily been in the Christian school realm, both at K through 12 level and at higher ed. And so we had a perspective of all these things. We'd done the homeschooling and public schooling and Christian schooling, and I value greatly uh, the, all the conversations we've had over the years about those experiences and those opportunities and the things we've seen. But that was our decision, our choice. That was the structure we, we, we took, decisions that we made. I'm just saying you've got those same decisions. What choices? Don't make the choice. Don't take the easy way out. To do what's easy and cheap and simply convenient is an open invitation to lead to the worst of all outcomes. None of us as Christians would say we want our children to grow to be God deniers, irrelevant and irreverent to the Word of God itself. We want to see our children and our grandchildren grow in a way that not only is developmentally appropriate, but spiritually strengthened, able to comprehend and to accomplish much in the life the Lord has for them and what lies ahead for them. Those are realities that come face to face with us as educators and as parents. And we realize that education is hard work. It's hard for the teachers. They're in the classrooms early, before the students are getting. They're staying late. They take a lot of that work home with them. It's hard work for the parents because you're the ones who, have, who are handling all the transportation. Obviously, the clothes and the food and the scheduling and the routines and all those things are important. It's hard work on the students. Sometimes they will feel overwhelmed. We need to support them and encourage them. We need to let them know that sometimes what seems terrible today 
a little ways down the road will seem trivial. And it gives us an opportunity to exercise our role as parent to encourage our young people and to see them pursue opportunities for success that will lead to greater success as they're implementing God's truth and principles in their life. Parents, the wrong answer to how do you educate your child is, well, I take them to school. It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more depth and breadth to it. You have to find yourself engaged every day, and not just on school days. There's lots to learn, even when school's out. There's lots of opportunities to take them away from the campus and take them out into the world and lead them and direct them and guide them. So what will you do to provide an opportunity for your child to learn? I think it begins with understanding that there are different ways in which children learn. We are all uniquely different, right? We think differently. We have different sets of ways we would do things, different things that appeal to us. We're all unique and different. Over the years, I've taught courses that involve thinking skills, learning strategies, those type of things. And you'll find some that say there's six ways of doing this, six ways of thinking about something over here in this model. Another model says there's nine different ways of being smart. Some would, and there's one model that says there's 16 ways to direct your thinking about something. We're all different. Recognize that distinctiveness in each child. You don't expect one to be exactly like the other. What can you do to optimize the learning for your child? Understand that they are different. Secondly, read to your children. I'm sure you've probably heard that before, and I know I've said it before in these events. It is still one of the most important things you can do at the very earliest of ages. Read to a child. It is still the number one measure of general intelligence is a student's ability to handle language and to comprehend reading. You can never read to your child too much. You can never read to them too broadly. Read to them fun stories, exciting stories. Read to them the Bible at a level they can comprehend. Children's Bibles, junior Bibles. Read to them and read with them. Read them stories of heroes and heroes of the faith, men and women of great character, determination, and testimony of God. There's many opportunities for those things. If you don't know where to find them, I promise you, we can point you in some directions. Not only read to your children, model to your children Christian values. Model to them that love and mercy and gentleness and forgiveness, tenderness and kindness, all those things Galatians 5 talks about with the fruits of the Spirit. Model to them those things. Let them see it in you. You're their first teacher. Why not be their best teacher? Because you're teaching them something that's just academics. Teach them the importance of forgiveness. Teach them a commitment to the Lord, a commitment to church, and a commitment to the Bible. Oh, by the way, you're teaching it, but what are you teaching them? Be sure that as you model for your children to set up fences. Because if you do not set up fences, you risk your child becoming a victim. A victim of technology. A victim of Hollywood's values. A victim of unsupervised activities or unhealthy habits. A victim of wrong companions. Now that story can be told too much, can't it? 
are a victim of improper dating relationships. Set up some fences. You have that responsibility for the care and safety of your child. Give to them an opportunity to learn outside the classroom. Our community and our state is a multitude of learning opportunities. Historical sites, parks, museums, people in places that will spark their interest. Guilford Courthouse, Battlefield, a close one that's nearby, but our state is littered with them all over the place. From the USS North Carolina to the coast to the Horn in the West drama played out in Boone. Battlefields that represent our nation's history. What do they know about Nathaniel Green, an often unsung hero of America's war for independence and a, a historical hero of mine? Vacation. Let's put vacation in this, and I would be surprised if there's not some people here who thought, I've never thought of putting vacation with schooling. As a matter of fact, vacation is the time to get away from school. Well, let me propose you the idea of using your vacation to visit museums, historical important places. Remember, our kids went to a graveyard a time or two during a vacation. Just to talk about a person when they lived and what their name was. Kind of interesting to see what names were in some cases. Monuments, battlefields, reenactments. There's one over here at Guilford Courthouse every March, middle of March. It's worth going to. We live in a place and are blessed to live in a place that has lots of opportunities for us to integrate learning outside the campus. And there's no way I can not mention learning that involves the church. Worship services, children's youth and teen programs, special events. Let me remind you, the church is your partner in educating and developing your child towards salvation in Christ, maturity in scriptural truth, growth in godliness, wisdom in the word of God. Those are valuable aspects of a child growing up. How dare we think they're not? We want to give to children a foundation of truth exercised with a backbone of conviction. Not to just meander and wander through life and trip over every opportunity that sometimes ungodly opportunities do. At church, your child will hear to obey their parents and the Lord, to love the Lord their God, to love others, to be kind, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, and a multitude of other biblical truths integrated in those systems. But you know, it's not just the programs that are important, it's also the people. I am so thankful for the people in this church who influence my children because I know the character and the commitment that they had. And that influence to me as a parent was extremely valuable. And to my children today who will tell you the same. All parents have responsibility to be involved. Participate in your child's education. At school, find a way to be involved. The teacher should know your name. As a principal, one of the things, especially as a high school principal, one of the things that frustrated me the most was to never meet a child's, a student's parents until the day they graduated. That's a sad testimony of a parent. Don't be that parent. The day-to-day -day activities, check the school routines, checking homework, communicating with teachers. Be involved. There's nothing more important in your child's success of education. 
Don't just put them off at school and say, I'll see you at 3 o'clock and anticipate somebody else will take care of all of it. Students have some responsibilities too, right? Obey your parents. Obey your teachers. Students strive to do your best. Listen to what the Bible says. Whatsoever you do, do it with all your heart as to the Lord, even if it is algebra. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all of the glory of God. Young people, be the best students you can and watch God bless you for your effort. But let us be warned, the values of a culture and of a secular education system is contrary to our biblical values and our biblical truth. We live in a culture that actively and aggressively promotes death, transgenderism, evolution, socialism, religious pluralism, paganism, postmodernism. We want to choke on all that. And yet they're trying to stuff it into the minds of children. We need to be reminded this system has no place in our home. We will stand with conviction to teach the truth of God's word. We live in a time when a culture has no knowledge of decency. It's a thing of the past. Immorality is just a personal choice. There are no rules except the rules I want to follow, they say. Their answers to life, ethics, and existence are wrapped in psychology and pagan philosophy. They worship at the altar of humanism, and their deities are Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, John Dewey, Sigmund Freud, Abraham Maslow, and Friedrich Nietzsche, a philosopher who famously said, God is dead and we have killed him. That's what's driving the culture today, and it's infiltrated into many educational systems. And we need to have a sensitivity and an awareness and a commitment that we will not let it overtake the hearts and minds of our young people. I close with this, a statement from a school mission statement. Hear these words. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore to lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning, and seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone set seriously himself by prayer and secret to seek it of him. He goes on to say, everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein both in theological observations of language and logic and in practical and spiritual truths as his tutor shall require. They were saying, read the scriptures. Get into it because your teacher is going to ask you some questions and you need to be able to tell us the biblical answer. Do that according to your ability, seeing the entrance of the word gives light. The word of God, right? It gives understanding to the simple. This was the mission statement of Harvard University when they first started. That was a generation that had a perspective about the value of education. And the value of an education that was more than just learning a career, pursuing a job path, an education that would impact both this world and the world to come. Let us as parents make a stand. It will be challenging this year for lots of reasons, but let us make a stand upon God's word and his truth 
that we can see a generation raised up with conviction and confidence that they serve a living Savior. And I know that the Lord will be blessed by that. We're going to close in prayer. We always close this service in prayer. And we're going to close it to prayer in a special way. I want all of our students, you stood once. I'm going to ask you to stand again. All of our students, just the students right now. This is such a beautiful sight, isn't it? Now, parents, I want you to stand with them. Normally, what we do is have these young people come to the front. It's such a beautiful scene, but we'll, we'll uh, avoid that for the current circumstances. Parents, you're standing with your children. Children, I want you to know that your parents and these adults standing around you love you, want the best for you. They will strive and work hard to see you succeed. But it's not just the parents behind you. I want students, you to realize there's a church behind you also. And so I'm going to ask the rest of you, if you will, to stand just to show support for these young people and their families, that they know there's a church here that loves them and supports them and wants to see them succeed. A new year before us, we trust the best of all of it for each of you students, that you'll succeed and do well and know that this church is here to help you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments together. Thank you for the truth of your word that reminds us of the value of education, the importance of it, and the priorities of education. Help us to be ever mindful that we are not just training children for this life. We are preparing them for the life to come. And I pray that those eternal truths will always be resonant in the work of this church, in the lives of these families, and in the hearts of these children and their parents and adults. I do pray that you'll bless these children, bless each one. They enter new grades, new classrooms, maybe some new schools. And I pray that you'll bless them, keep them safe, protect them, and hedge them about. May their parents be actively engaged in overseeing and supervising their children's education and be a voice for that which is right and true. May they raise these children to honor you. I pray that you'll give the parents patience and wisdom beyond themselves, understanding. Help us as parents and grandparents to be committed more than ever to stand upon the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'll bless the teachers. Each of them have a challenging task. They will arise early and go to bed late. And their, their labors are truly a labor of love. Bless them this year. Keep them safe and protect them. May they have a great influence on the children and families they will impact. Bless those staff workers, those who are behind the scenes, so to speak, and, and are able to help support what happens in a school. Bless our church as we continue our education programs, our supportive families and children, and our outreach ministries to the community, many of them even in schools. And I pray to allow us to have a testimony of standing firm upon your truth and that what's accomplished, we'll see the fruit born in the lives of these children, that the law of investment will indeed reap great rewards in the days and years ahead, that all eternity may look and see that we were faithful to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. I will let you be seated. Pastor Jason's going to come and share some things with us.